There are many ways to teach the Dharma. Uh, and uh, I think we all resonate with different forms of teaching. In my life, I, I, what I like to do is I like to try and bring something that's up for me or some experience that I've had in my life to, to the program. Sometimes it's fine to just do an academic talk and study something, and I do that too. But um, something happened to me last Tuesday. Uh, I had an experience that I really thought had a lot of Dharma lessons in it. And you know, this Dharma practice that we all uh, are here to at least explore, if not learn, is not about who sits on the cushion the best. It's really about bringing this into our lives. And so I think stories about things that happen in our lives can teach us quite a bit. For Since I retired about ten years ago, um, I have gone in and taught the Dharma in prison at Salinas Valley State Prison. And it's been a very important part of my practice. Last Tuesday, uh, I went in after having uh, missed two weeks. In fact, the program didn't run for two weeks because those of us who have the right kind of gate pass were all uh, had other uh, responsibilities or other commitments and we couldn't go in. And it's very unusual for us not to come in. We almost were very consistent with the program, but two weeks going, we did not run a program. So that's part of the situation, the setup. The second thing is that one of the people who was to go in with us forgot her ID, and so when we all gathered and we were ready to go, she had hooked up with somebody and taken a 15-minute ride to get to where we were meeting. She needed to go back and get her ID because you can't go into prison without an ID. That's, in fact, you can't just get into prison. You have to have a gate clearance. But she had the type where a driver's license would get her in. So we waited, and then we went in, and we arrived uh, about a half hour later than we would ideally have liked to have been there. So by the time we arrived, the chapel clerk, who gives us a list that we have to work off of, was gone. He thought, I guess, that we weren't going to be there for the third week. So we had no list of, uh, of inmates to call out even though the building uh, uh, officers did have lists. And we were late, so people didn't know if we were coming or not. So I was sort of the main person in charge of trying to get this whole program running, and we always have to jump through hoops anyway. There's lots of calls to make and buildings to call and officers to tell the radio to the buildings and getting the list distributed and all of this and the setup of the room that we meditate in, in the, in the prison chapel. So I was running around, and uh, I wanted things to uh, go smoothly. I wanted the inmates to show up since we were there, and I made the effort to drive an hour and a half from my home to get there, and was doing everything in my power to see if I could get it to happen. I was making the calls, I was distributing the list, I was 
find, trying to find the list in the chapel clerk's office to see if I could get an up-to-date list, which I couldn't find. And I was uh, trying to deal with all the external circumstances to the best of my ability. And there came a point where I had called all the buildings for the second time because only two people had shown up. Normally we have somewhere between 10 and 15 that show up. And there came a point where I'd made the second set of calls where I realized I'd done pretty much everything that I could do and that I had to give up. And I did give up, but what I realized as I made the call and walked into the chapel where the two men were, I realized that I, uh, that I was suffering in the Buddhist terminology, meaning that I had I'd kind of got myself worked up, I tried to control circumstances that I only could partially control, and I was left with something in the body that didn't feel very good. And this, I'm putting my hands here because this is where I know that I feel it. When I'm having some kind of an emotional, a physical sensation that has an emotional component to it, I get it in here. Some people may get it in the face and neck, some people in the gut, I get it generally here. If, I'm, if it's sad, then I feel it in here. The eyes, the moisture in the eyes. So I hadn't really quite figured out what kind of Dharma I wanted to teach, just like tonight, in a way. I hadn't really quite figured out what I wanted to do. And um, so when I sat down with the two men that were there, I thought, well, what could be better than what I was experiencing right there in talking about that? The first noble truth, that there is suffering, and I was having some... It wasn't heavy suffering, it wasn't like I was having this horrible experience, but I was, there was some dis-ease in me that I was experiencing. So as I just started to talk about it, two more men came, and so there were four. One man came and said that he had a job that he worked, and I know about that. And he's a steady uh, attendee, and, and he said he didn't think he could get out, so if he could, he would. And so I talked to the men about what my experience was, that I was really feeling the sensation of tension, or not, not anxiety exactly, but just tension, feeling tense. My body was feeling tense. And so I talked to them about how I find I can deal with that. And we talked about that. And we then did a meditation. And that meditation was a meditation focused on body sensations that were felt to have sort of an emotional component and how we can sensitize ourselves by paying attention to certain areas and using certain focusing techniques to do that. And I was first taught these techniques, oh, maybe about eight or nine years ago by a teacher by the name of Shinzen Young, who's been an important teacher for me. And like my first experience with this, most of the inmates' experience was that they had two options, either noticing that they were experiencing some kind of an emotional sensation, or that they were restful, that there was a peaceful experience. And all of them 
reported when we went around after the meditation that their experience had been that they didn't come up with much, which may well have been their experience. Because sometimes when you're just sitting there, there's really nothing up for you if you're truly present. If you've brought something with you from an exchange that you just had or something, maybe there'd be something lingering. Or if you're worried about something that's about to happen, maybe that would provoke some body sensations that were emotional. But they all reported having not much go on. I felt, uh, my experience was that during that meditation I had a lot of body sensation that was emotional in nature. When you're sitting and you're relaxed and you're, and you're really focusing in on your body, then you be, it, you know, this, this mindfulness practice makes us sensitive. And so I, I could feel it. I could really feel that I had that. And so most of the time I was noticing and really soaking into the experience of that body sensation. But then about halfway through the meditation, I started to notice that there were periods where my body started to relax. And uh, I'd say by the end of the meditation, after about 20 minutes, we don't meditate for too, too long there because many of the men are new, that my experience started to become much more restful. Not completely, but much more restful. Then we did Qigong, which we do, and just doing that flow and just, just uh, kind of working in the body and doing the motions and the movement and uh, settling into the body in that way. Um, and then followed by a walking meditation. By the end of those three experiences, I had released it. I had definitely relaxed uh, any tension that I had stored up. After that experience, we started to talk about what do we do when we, we've, we've gone too far? When, when, when our mindfulness doesn't let us know that as it's happening, we're doing something that's causing us difficulty, which happened in my case. You could say you've blown it. I mean, that's, it's, it's, that's a judgment that's a little bit too harsh, I think. But when it's gotten away from us, basically, and we've, we've, we've kind of gotten into the stage of anxiety or tension or anger or, or we're, we're experiencing something sad. Nothing is wrong with any of these sensations except that um, they can be a form of suffering. One of the inmates uh, is a very intense fellow and he... Um, He has his own experience of how he blows it. And some of the other men, two of the other men who had much more meditation experience, were talking about how they could, <coughs> through their mindfulness, they could very early, they could very sense very early that, that their, whatever was going on for them, whatever experience they were in, they were in uh, was leading to some sort of potential disease and they could release it. They could let it go. They could relax. Which is great. If you could do that, that's, that's wonderful. Well, what was happening with this tense man, inmate, was he was getting very frustrated because he was saying, he at one point said, I don't know what world you live in, but I, when I get involved in something like this, 
it's too intense. And he was getting actually a little agitated with the whole, um, the whole discussion. And so one of the other teachers who I was with said, I think you're feeling unheard. I think, you know, because these other men are saying, well, we do this, and it's really mellow, and all that. You're not, you're not being heard. You're, you're having an experience, you're having a, what sounds like a somewhat different experience. And he said, yes, I am. I am. I feel that my life is in danger in my own self. That's pretty, that's pretty scary. And what these other men were talking about were different experiences. They were talking about out in the yard, you're having an experience with somebody, and somebody's maybe trying to rattle you, and you can just kind of turn away from it, or you can just kind of not get too involved in the ego and having to put out any kind of particular vibe about who you are and what you stand for. He's talking about survival in his cell. In other words, he's got a cellmate who there's something threatening going on. So, he's agitated. And he was one of the fellows that told me that when we went around, that he had all peace, no physical sensation. He happened to be sitting within arm's reach of me. So, I put my hand on him because I could see he was very agitated. This doesn't happen too often, by the way, where somebody really gets fiery. And, by the way, putting my hand on his arm is like putting my hand on my thigh. He's, he's big. He's really got big arms. So I put my hand on him and I said, right now, check in. Move into the body and notice what your experience is right now. And so he kind of tucked his head and, and he kind of he, he, he kind of, you could see he was kind of settling, and then I could see his left arm kind of started to shake. And for about, it's really hard to know because I was so engaged with him, so present with him, it felt like a long time. I don't know if it was two minutes, maybe. I think it really was maybe in that neighborhood between one and two minutes. He sat there and he just. He, he just shook and he was with, obviously, an, an intense feeling of fear or whatever it was that, that, that was up for him. And uh, the, the room was respectful. Everybody in the room stopped. There was no talk. Everybody just sat with him. And um, so... The label we were giving, just like I was telling you to use relax when we were doing the label we were giving him was feel in, to, to notice if he was having that body awareness of an emotional sensation. And so I said, now do you know what a feel in is? And he said, yes, I do. So that's, that's the story. And lots of dharma there. Lots of to me that was a that was an it was an intense experience when he started to get agitated. Everybody in the room felt the tension, the teachers and the other inmates. And there was a lot for me to learn in that experience from my own experience. 
So, I'm going to ask you, and don't, don't be afraid to just come out with whatever you think is there. Where's the Dharma here? Where, what, what's the, what's, where's the potential teaching points in this story? Anybody have a thought about what might be learned from this experience? Just how to look inward and where you carry um, your feelings. Mm-hmm. Where you feel it in the body. Mm-hmm. And just be really aware. Sometimes I'll, I'll feel the agitated and I'm like, where do I feel agitated? And I'll just kind of do a body scan. Mm-hmm. I can feel it in my neck and my back. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're, for you, it's the neck and the back mm-hmm. that holds a lot of your attention. Sometimes. It depends. Yeah, okay. Different spots for different mm-hmm. occasions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. That's great. Yeah. I think what I get from it is something about language mm. and when you call it, mm. you know, well, how, what words mean to us. Mm-hmm. And so if you, if his understanding of what people were talking about was different than his experience and how he related to it, but when you change the word for him, it resonated. Mm-hmm. And how we can have conversations like that all the time and we feel like we're reaching people, but the language doesn't make sense, right. so we have to find right. different translations. Good. So, like, for me, that, that's what stands out. Wonderful. Good. Good. Yeah. So, lots of times when we think we're communicating, we're not. Mm-hmm. There's certainly a lesson there. Yeah. Yeah. Any other thought? Also, it seems like a change in perspective. Um, just because like, I feel like based on my own experience um, when something like that happens when you're like in the emotion and you're feeling it and you're identifying with it um, that's different than observing it so mm. like, if, when you observe it and you kind of feel it in your body then it mm. allows you to sort of get out of your mind and mm. feel it in your body and that sort mm. of gives you this almost third person view on it so you're yeah. less like in it and you're less like the mm. fire and you're more sort of watching it happen and sort of watching it in your body and you're like, wow, this is really interesting instead of like totally identifying with that emotion. Great. Yeah, I think so. Oh, and I, you know, I left out a really important part of that. He said that when he blows it, eventually he, and this is a quote, comes to his senses. And for some reason, I was really listening to him when he said that. He said, I've come to my senses. So that was in the mix as well. I think, going off what she said, it makes me feel um, like you were helping him find some of this Buddha nature. Mm -hmm. The fact that he was coming to his senses, like Mm -hmm. maybe he was awakening a little bit, and the fact that um, he was... uh, kind of trying to be at peace with his emotions just reminded me of uh, the Buddha story of, you know, being under the Bodhi tree and Mars trying to yes. attack him with a bunch of this and that and he he sat with him. He sat with the feeling and didn't let it right. overtake him and you helped him with that Buddha nature. Good. So Good. Good. You guys I may have to switch places with some <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Any other reflections? Yeah. Um, I'm so glad that you mentioned uh, what you're feeling and how you are feeling it because something for me that's so difficult when I meditate is 
just acknowledging the fact of how you feel and are you able to tolerate it and just be in that moment not thinking oh this is almost over or this is just a few more minutes just coming back to your center and being like yes i feel uncomfortable yes my leg is numb whatever it is when you come back to that point you're like but that's okay because it's just about that focus and for me like clearing clearing my mind of just whatever is going on yeah. and focusing right like between your eyes almost for that's how I feel about it and just knowing that it's okay to be uncomfortable it's okay to be in pain because you can always have that that peace within yeah. even though it, you're a physical like body you have aches you have pains you have discomfort it's okay because it's you get to feel that you get to experience that so even that is almost a gift even if it is an uncomfortable feeling so earlier when you were mentioning like um your your feelings or or whatever I can't exactly remember Mm -hmm. it just it made a lot of sense and it resonated with me it just wanted to put that out there. Good. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I I heard what you said. That's good. Yes. <laughs> good. Yes. I don't know. I guess I'm kind of grappling with your story a little bit. Um, I think that there was like your experience of kind of getting in, in touch with that sense that like I am feeling, you know, disease at this moment, and um, you know, and recognizing the powerlessness that you had in that situation, recognizing that you had kind of exhausted your um, you know, your options, the exhausted the way in which you could influence the situation. And I could relate a lot to that. You know, I could relate a lot to having to let go and just recognize, okay, you know, you know, I'm getting stressed out here. There's nothing I can do. And it seems like, you know, that he had a similar experience, the inmate. Uh, but it's hard for me to see how that's going to be helpful in his situation. I mean, his life is in danger and you know he's got to go back into this really fearful situation. Yes, yes, that's great. That's good. Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is not the end of the story, or it shouldn't be the end of the story, should it? And it isn't the end of the story uh, because uh, I happen to know who his cellmate is, and it, and as upsetting as it is, his cellmate is actually one of our Dharma students, and he's been a long-term Dharma student. Now the question in my mind and our minds always is, where's the truth? You know, who's who's you know is he really accurately reporting the threat? Is he imagining the threat? Is this other person really making the threat? And so we don't know. There's no way for us to really know. What we did do is there's a captain on the yard who I have a pretty good relationship with. And we called... The man had said that he had made an attempt to get... to move to a different cell, but that the COs, the guards, correctional officers, they like to be called, not guards, that they um, kind of laughed at him and kind of um, didn't seem to think that the whole thing was that serious. 
So the next day, I the captain was gone by the time we left. The next day, I called him and we had a discussion with him and just informed him that there was a potentially dangerous situation in that particular cell and requested that they check it out and, if possible, move the two people apart. I don't know the follow-up to that, and I will find that out this coming Tuesday. So, yeah, you're right. You're right. That didn't solve the problem. That didn't solve the problem. But still moving into your own experience is really important. Any, any, so thank you. Thank you. That was good. Good. Everything's been good. Anybody else? Uh, yeah. I was going to piggyback off and have what you know, you say, oh, it was not going to be helpful. Well, physically, it's not going to be. You know, the situation is going to be the same when you look back in the cell as when you got out of it, physically. But how he reacts to it, how he deals with it, right. is what you have to do. Right. what it sounds like. And that's to me what the mood is about. It's, yes. So your life is what it is. Right. You know, you're not going to change that, you know. It's you know, to be angry or whatever at, at life. It's like being angry at gravity if you trip and fall. You know, it's just... Yeah, it makes no sense. So the only thing you can do is, is change how you react to it. Yes. Good. And to me, yeah. that's the core of yeah. what we're yeah. talking about and, and how you help that guy. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, good. I was going to add something because I had an experience last night where I had a very scary nightmare. Hmm. It was very vivid and very realistic, and I didn't know if it was reality or not, actually. But I kept on thinking back of relaxation and meditation, and I was able to pull myself kind of out of the dream slowly. Oh. And I got out, and I just went, I said, like, So you had some mindful awareness during your dream, yeah, which is great. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah, that's very good. That's continuity of practice yeah. to a very fine degree, which is terrific. Well, anybody else? Rich, very good. Everybody. Well, that that's great, and I think I think all the teaching points that I could think of around this were addressed by all of you. And I'll just sort of add a few things. One thing is the difference between, and I'm going to use these terms a little arbitrarily, but I'll maybe define them uh, so that it doesn't become so arbitrary. But the difference between pain and suffering, and, and you know that would address a lot of the comments that were made. So um, we all have um, loss. We all have... Um, Happiness. We all have anger. We all have uh, physical issues to deal with. And those things are sort of inevitable. Old age, sickness, and death. The heavenly messengers that the Buddha, when he left his protected environment, ran into. Those are all sort of inevitable. So we could call that the pain of life. The circumstances of life. And then there's the suffering. And that's what I think the Buddha is really addressing. And he's not talking about the inevitable. He's talking about the optional. He's talking about what we bring to an experience that adds a great deal of suffering to the pain. And that, that comes from our internal processes 
from our thoughts that occur in either images or uh, self-talk, and our emotions. Now, one of the teachers that I study with says, you know, um, we can we can to some degree we can um, we can af- we can change and try and um, manipulate our external experiences. Obviously, death we can't deal with. Sickness to some degree we can't deal with. But there are certain things like when I walked into the the, the prison and saw that certain things needed to be done, and if I did them, they I would have the potential to get a better result. You can do those things. But when you have some form of an internal response, an emotion comes up, particularly, that's something we try and open to. That's not something we try and get rid of or change or manipulate. That's something we try, in Buddhist practice, we try and open to our experience. And when we open to our experience, we have the potential to not be as reactive, as he said, Tom. And we have have a chance to, to kind of take a little bit of distance, as you said, from our experience. And the body, I find, is a wonderful way to do that, to just buy you time. So in this inmate's case, he knows that he has a tendency to become very violent. And so what we're working with with him is when he has the ability to move into his internal experience in the body of an emotional experience, just that very movement of seeing it and putting a label on it using a language, and I'll I'll come back to that, can buy you just enough time and distance to keep you from either saying something that is going to get you into big trouble or taking action which will likely get you into even worse trouble. So that that working with your internal experience and turning towards it, opening to it, being kind about it. There's metta, there's, there's loving kindness to saying, this is what it is. I'm having this experience. When I'm sitting and my leg falls asleep, I'm having that experience. When I'm, saying, when I'm noticing myself saying, I don't know if I can sit through this, I, I, I just, I'm having that self-talk. I'm experiencing that in the moment. But just to take a little distance, just to bring your mindfulness to that experience has the potential to rewire your, your brain. It actually does. I mean, there is current neuroscience that shows that when we can label our experience, just something as simple as labeling experience, ah, sadness, mm, anger, mm, and feeling into it, that just the ability to put a name on what our experience is rewires the brain. Three things that can happen in the brain. You can form new new neurons. You can actually form new nerve cells. Neurons. Because you have we have these cells that are sort of multipotential in the brain that can do that, that can form new neurons. So there's this 
concept of neuroplasticity. People 90 years old can do this, by the way. So you can form new nerve cells. The other thing that you can do is you can form new synapses, which means the way nerves interconnect. You know, you have all these little dendrites, these little things that come off of the nerve cells, and they can form synapses with other nerve cells. So you can rewire just by bringing this stimulus of anger and the label of uh, anger and the settling, that experience is a rewiring of the brain. And the other thing is that we can form uh, myelin, which is kind of a fatty substance that coats the nerves on the outside and it makes for speedier neurotransmission. The impulses can get there quicker with myelin. So, that kind of weaves in what a lot of people were saying. So just our ability to be mindful of our experience and to open to our experience, to notice what that experience is in the body, to be able to label it if you have that skill, but even if you can't label it, if you just know it for what it is, that body sensation, that has the chance to rewire the brain. And they've been, it has been shown that in an eight-week mindfulness-based stress reduction class, that people's prefrontal, mid-prefrontal lobe, which is where all this processing goes on, that they can show that the gray matter actually increases in depth. They can show it with functional MRI and with imaging. In eight weeks. So, uh, it certainly should give us all hope that as we continue to work this process and become more mindful of our experience, we open to our experience, we're able to label our experience, uh, that we can rewire those reactive circuits that were, are so heavily conditioned in all of us from uh, our earliest experiences, our family experiences, our cultural experiences, our uh, peer experiences, uh, and just our, our, our life's experiences. I've got a Vietnam War experience that's in there for me. And uh, so being able to rewire that's been very important for me. And we all have some sort of trauma, whether it's family trauma or it's physical trauma or some form of emotional trauma that's happened in the not-too-distant past or in the distant past. So our ability to acknowledge and open to our experience and to know it for what it is allows us to work with that in a new way. And I wanted to address the coming to... I loved when he said, and when I come to my senses. Because when you really think about it, uh, right now, if we check the body, the sights in front of our eyes, the sounds, my voice primarily at this point, there's not, not really much suffering going on, I don't imagine, is there? Really? No. I mean, there could be for somebody, for some reason, but 
So when we're in, in you know, there, there, are, there are six senses in Buddhism. There's, there's physical touch, sensation. There's uh, sights. There's sounds. There's tastes and there's smells. So those are the five sensations. But in Buddhism, um, the mind that thinks is the, the mind is the organ and the thoughts are the, 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 the object. And so, if you really think about it, when he said, when I come to my senses, I took that very literally, thinking, okay, so that when he can move out of his sort of um, tangle of thoughts and emotions that are in the mind, when he can kind of move a little bit away from that and come to his senses, meaning come more to the present moment, because the senses, the five senses that I spoke about, are in the present. They're here. They're now. They're not, I mean, you can think about past sights, but that's already in the mind again. But all the five senses, if they're operating, are in the moment. So that is a way of moving away from suffering, is to be present. Now, if you're going through some kind of very intense emotional experience, um, that's as every bit as real as if you were had a serious injury and you were going through that at the time. So that sixth sense can really throw us for a loop. But we can move... You know, there's, there's many different ways to deal with difficult situations. One is to move directly into it. And the other is to just move away. Go into the breath and just breathe. Or notice the relaxed sensation of some part of the body. You know, there's, there's always some place to find relaxation. So, coming to your senses. I'm sure that's where that came from, that phrase. And when I came to my senses, it means you moved out of your head, I think. So lots of Dharma in everyday life. And, you know, for me, um, I remember when, when I was first guided in the meditation to, to bring sensitivity to my um, emotional body sensations, for many meditations, I experienced absolutely nothing. I was relaxing, there was no problem. I mean, that's fine, that's perfectly fine. And I think it took some, just uh, going home and some life's events and the traumas of everyday life for me to sometimes sit down after something happened and realize, whoa, there's something definitely going on here. For me to realize that um, there's some value in turning inward and really checking that out. So I, I think that's all I have to say about um, this piece of Dharma. So I'll end here. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.